step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. In my laboratory in the castle east, in the master bedroom where the vampires feast, they do they did the Lovecraft Geek, and that's what you're doing now. What I'm doing anyway, I guess both of us count. Um, let's take some questions that I think will definitively prove once for all that uh, S.T. Joshi ought to be doing this show and not me. Maybe one day we can convince him to do it, and you'll actually get some of those answers. We'll see. But for now, let's see what's in the slime bucket. This is from Matthew Munoz. Any relation to the guy in Cool Air? Uh, in uh, Weird Realism, Lovecraft and Philosophy, Greg Harmon argues that Lovecraft's description of the elder things is intended to be nearly impossible to visualize. Harmon writes, the dissection report, well, this is, of course, in the Mountains of Madness, right? The dissection report works again like a cubist painting with numerous jostling planes jammed together along a single surface, all of them completely visible, yet never quite fitting together as a whole. Every one of their features is exactly described, yet in combination these features are so monstrous and incompatible that they cannot easily be bundled together in a Humean arsenal of qualities. End of quote. Maybe I've been spoiled by Wayne Barlow's lifelike renderings of these monsters, but it seems to me that Lovecraft is simply using his knowledge of the often bizarre biology of sea creatures to construct the description, even mentioning specific examples. You know, like this one's like a sea cucumber, and that's like a starfish, etc. Um, uh, quote. And this is Lovecraft, right? It probably represents incredibly advanced uh, evolution of radiata without loss of certain primitive features. The echinoderm resemblance is unmistakable despite local contradictory evidences. Anyone who's seen Ernst Haeckel's famous drawings of echinoderms and radiates should be able to construct a picture in their mind's eye of a coherent, if unusual, creature from the dissection report. After all, the elder things are destined to become partially humanized later in the story, as opposed to the ultimately incomprehensible unholy mountain. What does the geek think? Well, I'm with you, uh, Matthew. I, uh, way back on the cover of Crypt of Cthulhu, number seven, I uh, did what I think is a kind of a passable artist's conception of uh, what Lovecraft describes, and I've certainly seen people do uh, horrifyingly realistic versions of it. Mine's more of a kind of a cartoon thing. But I, uh, 
don't see how uh, this author can say that. I mean, certainly he has seen uh, uh, graphic representations of the star-headed old ones. I don't get it either. Uh, and uh, I think you're right. It's a plausible, though bizarre, uh, as Will Murray would say, a chimera of uh, sea creatures. So I, I think you're exactly right. Of course, I've never read this book you're quoting, but it, I doubt from what you quote that the context could make much difference. Uh, okay, thanks, Matthew. That's quite interesting to hear that somebody will say that. Well, Magnus says, I know this is the Lovecraft geek, but uh, shall we stop for a moment and talk about Edgar Allan Poe anytime? Although I'm relatively new to Lovecraft, it is obvious to me that Poe must have been a great influence on H.P., especially in his earlier writings, such as The Tomb and The Outsider. I assume, of course, that there are lots of writers who have found inspiration in Poe. I can't imagine that, for instance, Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Stevenson did not read The Gold Bug before writing Treasure Island. And I would also assume that Herman Melville uh, did read the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket before writing his masterpiece, Moby Dick. Shouldn't have signed Moby Grape? No, I, I guess not. Uh, speaking of the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, I believe there are some distinct similarities between the last part of that story in Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. They both take place on Antarctica, where the narrator comes across an ancient civilization, and in both stories, the narrator has to flee for his life after making a horrific discovery about this ancient civilization. Do you know if H.P. ever uh, said something explicit about Poe's influence on him? Did he, for instance, mention specific stories that he found inspirational? I don't know what relationship you have to Poe, but if you have read the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, could you say something about how you interpreted the ending? I remember finding it bone-chilling, although I never really understood what actually happened. Maybe you can shed some light on this. I've read it, but uh, it was now so many years ago that I cannot recall. That's uh, pretty shameful to admit, but uh, it's true. I, I can't recall, but I, I, I know uh, Magnus is from, geez, what one of the Scandinavian countries. I can't remember, he doesn't happen to mention it this time. Uh, he's apparently not that well-read in terms of Lovecraft scholarship yet, for which I don't blame him. And uh, I get a kick out of the fact that, as with Magnus, some people don't need to have read what uh, we have discovered about Lovecraft because they're spontaneously discovering it. Uh, you are indeed correct about the, the Poe influence. Lovecraft uh, said that he called Poe my god of fiction. And there have been people that have said that The Outsider, for instance, if you had Poe's name on it, you would simply think, uh, yeah, Poe wrote it. Uh, and uh, I think um, uh, Lygia is a very important uh, influence on uh, the rats in the walls. Uh, and um, 
and and certainly uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is foundational to At the Mountains of Madness. I would recommend, if this is still in print, I don't even know, um, you you might want to get a hold of the Chaosium collection I edited called The Antarctos Cycle. Uh, in it, I, I have a bunch of stories that uh, seem to have influenced at the Mountains of Madness, as well as others influenced by it, because you are certainly correct. Poe was a major, major influence on Lovecraft and on that story. I just don't think we would have at the Mountains of Madness if, if not for Arthur Gordon Pym, and hence, uh, if not for Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, and so uh, keep up the, uh, the sharp-eyed reading. I'm sure you're going to find, uh, if you get around to reading uh, Lovecraft criticism, that uh, that you are noticing on your own uh, various discoveries others have made, which is always a kind of a comforting feeling. It uh, reinforces your uh, your conviction and and makes you realize, gee, I guess I'm not a nut. It's like scientific repeatability, right? When different uh, uh, readers, independent of one another, see the same thing in it. Uh, and so that's what you've done. I think you did a great job there. Uh, let's see, this is from, oh, here's another one I can't really answer, from uh, Joe Bashaw. hope I'm saying that right. Uh, let's see, I know, oh, wait a minute, wrong one. Uh, yeah, I wondered if I could ask you a question regarding an obscure and minor figure of the mythos. I understand that you probably get dozens of unwanted cues from bothersome fans. Oh, I would never say that. No, no. Uh, so I won't be surprised or upset if this email goes unanswered, though I do hope this is a decent topic for your consideration. Boy, I don't get enough Lovecraft geek questions, uh, and uh, none are stupid. So please uh, keep them coming. Okay, no doubt you are familiar with Nodens, the Lord of the Great Abyss, whose first mention in weird fiction was at the end of Arthur Mackin's novel, The Great God Pan, and whose most famous appearances were in Lovecraft's stories, The Strange High House in the Mist, and The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Auguster Leth would infamously add Nodens to the pantheon, pantheon of the Elder Gods, though from what I understand he didn't use Nodens much or at all in his stories. Yeah, that's, uh, he's, well, of course, the whole thing with the Elder Gods is an imposition on Lovecraft's uh, lore, and uh Therefore, to add nodens to their numbers, number is equally arbitrary. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, you're right about that. I don't know that he ever uses nodens except in any of these, cre uh, this is Derlet, except in his creaky quotes from the Necronomicon, where he stuffs in everybody but kitchen sink off. Uh, and uh, it doesn't make much sense. He doesn't say anything about it. Uh, back to uh, Joe. For such an obscure figure with such brief appearances, he sure is surrounded with strange and memorable details. Perhaps a Nodens cycle book is impossible due to the lack of material. I'm afraid you're right there, Joe. But I wondered if you could help me flesh out his development as a mythos entity and as a product of Lovecraft's thought process. Uh, 
Of all ocean gods in human mythology, why would Lovecraft emphasize Nodens in two stories? Did he have any special interest in Nodens? Was Nodens a recurring figure in weird fiction at the time, like Melictus? Uh, was Lovecraft merely honoring Mackin by using that name? Could Nodens be a symbol of all his yearnful, dreamlike sentiments? Well, let me pause there, Joe. I think you're exactly right. It was just a kind of a a, a tip of the hat to uh, to, to Mackin, in the same way that he that in the, the Whisper in Darkness he has the black stone. I mean, that's obviously right out of. Uh, uh, the novel of the Black Seal, and uh, of course, uh, the Dunwich Horror is heavily indebted to uh, to uh, the great God Pan, as is the uh, the Whisperer in Darkness. But I think you're right; it's just coloring, like in that scene in The Whisperer when uh, the pseudo Akeley is spilling off all of these. Uh, name drops to uh, Frank Long and uh, Robert E. Howard and uh, many others. I don't think Lovecraft really had any uh, real idea, especially since these uh, of, of this being a mythos-related entity. He'd never really show up in a story with any of the great old ones. Uh, the, these are really... Uh, the, the references he makes, even when they're not in the so-called Dunsanian stories, which are usually pretty short, are are really uh, nods to that. No, oh my gosh, no pun intended. The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, it doesn't sound like one of his uh, Dunsanian prose poetry experiments, but obviously uh, it uh, it partakes of the, the, the Dreamlands Dunsanian canon and combines a lot of it. So I think that uh, it, it's really just an ornament Okay, back to Joe. Why do you suppose Nodens is connected with the Night Gaunts? Lovecraft repeats several times that they serve hoary and archaic Nodens, but this connection is as confusing to me uh, as it is fascinating. What connection could there be between an ocean god and these legions of nightmarish faceless devils that guard mountains and subterranean places? Are the night gaunts supposed to be his hunting hounds, or did Lovecraft merely make this connection for the convenience of his plot? Yeah, I think so. If it is, it's a rather strange convenience, since the story could have continued without any mention of Nodens. Well, once again, I, I think that uh, they're just in there because they're also dream-associated. Remember, he first uh, saw, apprehended, whatever, the, uh, the, the night gaunts in his dreams. He had dreams that they were after him. And uh, it, it's not really typical Cthuluvian kind of stuff, it seems to me. Shoggoths would be, but Nightgaunts, I don't think so. They're more like these weird uh, zoo critters in the, the Dream Quest elsewhere, the Gugs, the Ghasts, and all that stuff. They, they really don't fit in, I think, to the, uh, the mythos paradigm, and you've uh, certainly picked up on that. Also, yeah, one last thing about Nodens. I don't know that anybody ever made anything of him uh, after uh, Lovecraft until 
the late great Sam Gafford wrote a terrific novel called The House of Nodens, which makes him into a full-fledged cosmic monster. Uh, you gotta read this thing. It is really some darn novel. Beautifully written and uh, just great stuff. The House of Nodens. So take a look. I'm sure it's on Amazon. Great stuff. In fact, if I ever wanted to do a, a node in cycle, I'd just have to reprint that book and a couple of Lovecraft stories. But I ain't gonna. Let's see. Oh, this is from our buddy Lachlan. He's more often on the Bible Geek, but he shows up here sometimes too. I just wanted to dash off a quick note on the mountains of madness. I grok the argument for a lunar setting. Uh, what What is that? Well, uh, I believe it was Chuck Hoffman who some years ago said that if they ever made a movie of it, and this is before Del Toro was making noise about doing it, uh, if they ever made a movie, it should be set on the moon because it's, you know, close enough uh, terrain-wise and Antarctica's been explored now. It isn't the mysterious place it was in Lovecraft's time. So, yeah, uh, Lachlan says he goes along with that. Uh, and for the same reason, he says, Antarctica isn't the land of mystery it was 90 years ago. But there are two arguments for Antarctica. The first is purely narrative. If Earth life is, ac is an accidental contamination from the elder thing's food supply, then the moon is just too far away. I guess they might uh, attain pretty uh, fierce speeds with those membranous wings, who knows. Uh, um, uh, the second is that Antarctica is the most Lovecraftian of continents. Think of the continent you live on, or country, state, or city. The map in your mind, uh, perhaps on your wall, most likely has north as up, south as down, east going right, and west going left. Maybe this is rotated 180 degrees, but that hardly matters. Now, think of Antarctica, or pull up a picture or map. In the center, that's the south. Up is north. Down is north. Go left. That's north. And right, well, that's a north, too. It's a consequence of representing the blasphemous, hideous truth of an incomprehensibly spherical earth on a flat surface uh, that our limited human minds can understand. Yeah, the la that last sentence was a horrible pastiche, but it still stands that just as a two-dimensional map is a good enough representative of a three-dimensional globe, our concept of the cosmos is uh, as paper-thin as that map compared to the, quote, real world, quote that Lovecraft describes. Yeah, well, he, he certainly loved Antarctica, though he couldn't have braved its temperatures, even with loads of layers of Shoggoth tissue, he would, uh, uh, what was it? I guess it's not hypothermia, though that would kind of make sense. He he would, uh, he was so sensitive to the cold that if he was outside and it was 40 degrees, he'd collapse on the sidewalk. Boy, that is weird. But no wonder he found that. You know, he said that the connoisseurs of horror can find no better place to search for it in uh, rural New England. Well, uh, this might beat that.
Okay, now who's next? Uh, Jamie Weir from the United Kingdom. And you know what that means. I was wondering if you could discuss John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing. What are your overall thoughts on in it? On it, sorry. And can you comment on the Lovecraftian elements of the plot, setting, ending, etc.? That uh, just to be parenthetical here, uh, it is uh, pretty uh, widely believed that uh, Campbell was, who wrote The Thing from Another World, a.k.a. Who Goes There, must have been inspired by Lovecraft. And uh, I, I think that's true, too. Uh, and, and as a result, the, uh, the movie is uh, real Lovecraftian. Anyway, uh, in an article I read recently, the author, Kyle Anderson, made the point that aside from the superficial statement uh, sorry, the superficial elements of cosmic horror, the story also contains the archetypical Lovecraftian protagonist, Dr. Blair, the, ex the expedition's biologist who first discovers the true nature of the alien and is driven insane by the implications should it escape the base. After he sabotages all the available vehicles to prevent this, the others confine him to the tool shed. In the end, as with many of Lovecraft's own main characters, for instance, in The Shadow over Innsmouth, he becomes what he despises and fears. This seems like a really interesting interpretation, and I was wondering if you agreed. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's an excellent insight. And the whole idea that you have a... Uh, extra-terrestrial, very ancient, all-powerful uh, entity by nature destructive to man, though without any real ill intent, right, uh, just clashes, uh, that is so Lovecraftian. And uh, the uh, notion that it's going to end in death because Kurt Russell and his uh, his pal are uh, surely going to die at the end of it one way or the other. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, I, I think it is very Lovecrafty and I love that movie, even if, it had, even if it had not a thing to do with HPL, I think it is terrific. And uh, we showed it at the Lovecraft Film Festival some years ago, and rightly so. Uh and uh, Jamie says, also, what are your thoughts on the prequel film, if you've seen it also, titled The Thing from 2011? Does it live up to the original, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it does. I was very impressed with it. Now, I admit, as a sequel, it's going to be, well, a prequel. It, it's almost a sequel, in the sense of here's more of the story. But it... Uh, in a way, it's less ambitious than the Star Wars prequels, but better. Uh, it uh, does, it, it kind of explains how certain odd things happened that you had to just take for granted in the uh, Carpenter version, like this horrible two-faced, uh, distorted uh, figure. Uh, but I, and how the the machine get there, the ship and all that. But I thought it was imaginative and effective. I liked it a lot. Uh, I also love the uh, the fifties uh, black and white version, though. Uh, and in one sense, that's even more Lovecraftian because it's made clear that the uh, 
that the, the monster, the James Arness vegetable Frankenstein, the intellectual carrot monster, uh, is superior to, to humans. And, uh, and, the, and you really have the Lovecraftian protagonist there, right? The scientist who, is, uh, who knows that uh, he's liable to be destroyed by uh, th this creature, but he's willing to do it as sort of a martyr to science. And uh, though the, the main thing that hits me about the original version is the, uh, the fascinating high-speed depiction of these guys who know they are behind the eight ball. Uh, they're cornered. And can they be ingenious enough uh, to uh, somehow save themselves? And with one setback after another, I think it's really terrific. And uh, so I really like all of those. I hear there's a new uh, remake of The Thing. I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Uh, see, greetings and felicitations, O oh, esteemed aspiring great old one. That's what I like to hear. Uh, this is from uh, Anthony Giazzi. Uh, let's see. He uh, stipulates an accent I, of a hybrid nature, which I don't know I can do, so I'll just... Uh, just struggle on. Sorry about that. A uh, few questions, which is fine. H1. HPL had a great interest in astronomy, as I do. I love astrophotography, but didn't believe, he didn't believe that there were alien races out there. If he lived today with the discovery of thousands of exoplanets and probably exomoons, a number of which are in the Goldilocks zone, habitable zone for life because of the presence of liquid water, do you think he would have modified his view? Would that have led to stories featuring aliens on some of these worlds? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't think it would have... Uh... Well, you know, the fact that he was able to uh, envision utterly non-human aliens, uh, like the Mego and all that stuff, he, he could easily conceive of planets that weren't in the Goldilocks zone that could nonetheless um, support life very different from us, but then that would be what would make them horrific to us. I don't know that the confirmation that there were a lot of them would have changed his opinion, but but I see what you mean. It might well be so. Uh, if he was just reckoning, as I guess most people were at the time, that there were only the planets in our system. I mean, look at the big deal he made over the discovery of Pluto. Uh, that probably would have uh, shut the door to, at least it's a box he might not have readily thought out of, uh, that, uh, that the universe, though the v cosmic vastness was much on his mind, right? Sort of set, set the course of his life philosophy of cosmic futilitarianism. Uh, that, you know, that could have made uh, room for him to believe that there there could be alien races. I wouldn't be too surprised at that. That's a very good question. Because you're not talking about 
story possibilities. You're talking about his his belief. Also, these uh, these astonishing eyewitness accounts and even videotapes of uh, objects that uh, play uh, chicken with uh, with our fighter jets and even with airline planes and all that, that, that seem to defy the laws of physics. Oh boy, would he have loved that. And that might well have pushed him over into thinking that there were that there are uh, aliens elsewhere. Two, there has been much done on the ancient astronaut theory, which I find plausible, although I remain an open-minded skeptic. Do you think that he would have seen this as life-imitating art vis-a-vis uh, -vis his writing? Oh, boy. I, uh, I and my friend uh, Charles Garofalo had in the second issue, of, I think it was the second issue of uh, Crypt of Cthulhu, eh, it was an early one, I'm not sure what the number was now, we, we did an uh, article called Chariots of the Old Ones, where we uh, showed how that uh, he's already, Lovecraft is already talking about this ancient astronaut theory uh, but, uh, you know, you got to keep in mind that Madame Blavatsky and others were already talking about aliens coming to the Earth in ancient times, the children of the fire mist that Lovecraft mentions in uh, the Gay Through the Gates of the Silver Key and uh, Diary of Alonzo Type, or a couple of uh, collaborations with people that were theosophists. Uh, uh, he is already envisioning this as a as a theory. I mean, he, he already knows of it as a theory that some hold, and that uh, so so it it uh, was apparently put forth as something like the modern ancient astronauts theory, and. Uh, that before he and Burroughs and others began to uh, use it as uh, as a story prop. I'm with you on the viability of the ancient astronaut theory. I don't believe it is so, but uh, it's not absurd. Like, it's not wacky or crazy. Uh, it seems to me quite plausible, but that's, I don't know that we have enough evidence to render it uh, probable, right? That, there's a big difference. And uh, so it, it could be. I just don't see anything uh, silly about it, but who knows? And um, so I guess I'll leave that one at that. Uh, uh, question three. I am tired of hearing about HPL's racism. He was a product of his time and certainly not the only one. Uh, that liberal icon, Thomas Woodrow Wilson, was an ardent racist. Indeed, the army was segregated during his presidency. Don't confuse this with traditional all-black army units, such as the 10th Cavalry, which, along with the Rough Riders, was instrumental in taking San Juan and Kettle Hills during the Spanish-American War. Indeed, the 10th, on more than one occasion, saved the Rough Riders' bacon during the attack. It's time to... Uh, it's time to just have a disclaimer up front about the old gent and then enjoy his work. 
Yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, it's it's a lot different with the, the zeitgeist today and that in Lovecraft's day. And it's, uh, you know, it's regrettable that that's what we had to evolve out of, but we have evolved out of it. And uh, I just don't see the, uh, you know, what what is accomplished except virtue signaling by that. Plus, what about the death of the author, as uh, Roland Barthes uh, explained long ago, that it doesn't really matter ultimately who wrote anything. Could have been a room full of monkeys typing at random on a bunch of machines. Uh, it's uh, it just doesn't matter. Uh, the it's the text that matters. Now, if you could show Lovecraft was writing hate propaganda, uh, that that'd be another thing. Uh, the the um, his racial biases do pop up occasionally, but what the heck? I mean, the, to me, that's no different from uh, him making architectural or political references that were current in his own day that I don't get without looking them up. It just doesn't matter. I mean, what are you, are like, uh, like God and Isaiah, are your eyes too pure to look upon sin? Uh, it just is part of this uh, PC hypersensitivity. Uh, okay, number four, you mentioned in a previous podcast that HPL originally liked to one of my other favorite authors, Edgar Rice Burroughs, but then uh, turned away from him. Uh, why was that? I love them both and am a little dismayed about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, uh, I think it's because once he... It, well, he liked them as adventure stories, but once he began taking a kind of science-fictional turn with his horror, which is really the great Copernican revolution in Lovecraft that Fritz Leiber talked about so well, so insightfully, uh, where science is the horror, uh, the, the strangeness and the alienness uh, became so important for him in, uh, in his use of science in his fiction that he found Burroughs a kind of childish. It's like what they said about Star Trek when they were trying to get it on, on the air. It's like wagon train in space, which indeed it is. Uh, it, it's obvious. That, I mean, even in the most advanced Star Trek series, warp speed uh, is, is really just like uh, going 80 miles an hour. Uh, the, you'd, you'd be, uh, you can't be like chasing some other ship that you can see on sensors if both of you are warping space. I mean, they're still uh, on the idea that uh, you're just uh, going from town to town. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is like, uh, like there, there are different groups on, on uh, Facebook that discuss the difference between sword and sorcery fiction and sword and planet fiction. And of course, Edgar Rice Burroughs is the, uh, the great founder pretty much of, of uh, the latter. I, I love both genres, so I'm not you know criticizing either one of them, uh, but uh, yeah, they, uh, 
they're they're really pretty much the same thing, though one is fantasy, the other is ostensibly science fiction. Uh, but John Carter's got a ray gun and a sword, and so does everybody else. I love that stuff. But I think I can see where Lovecraft uh, is getting it. It's more like a comic book kind of a thing, more of a human-centered adventure story, uh, which I also like a lot. Uh, but he didn't, right? I mean, he, he had virtually no real protagonists in his stories because they're, the narrators are just window frames through which you see the cosmic, stunning horror and uh, Burroughs was, you know, not doing anything like that. Once Lovecraft moved into it, he thought less of Burroughs. Uh, again, this to me is ironic because it's the same kind of criticism that Edmund Wilson and others aimed at Lovecraft. Uh, it wasn't realism. Well, that's no criticism. It's just like uh, Abe Lincoln is said to have said, well, for those who like this kind of thing, this is the kind of thing they like. There's no point in criticizing one genre for not being another one. You're just saying with false objectivity that you don't like a certain genre, so to hell with that. And Anthony says, thanks again for entertaining my inane questions. They're not. Uh, keep up the increasingly good but sinister work. Ave... Aque vale. I don't know what that means. Uh, S.T. would know. He knows his Latin. He's smarter than I am. And uh, this is from Jonathan Howard. Here's one. I, I'm really going to expose myself as a fraud here. Um, Jonathan says, I recently started uh, listening to the HPL Historical Society's new podcast, Voluminous, where in... Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman, I guess that's how you say it, Lehman, uh, L-E-M-A-N, read excerpts from Lovecraft's extensive letters, and then they read excerpts from Lovecraft's extensive letters and then discuss what they find in them. Have you had a chance to hear it? I never heard of it until this, uh, which is just... An there's no reflection on them. It's just my ignorance. Have you had a chance to hear it? I, I've never heard it. Have you ever had a chance to read through HPL's letters? If so, did you ever find anything in them that surprised you or altered your basic assumptions and views of the man? Now, here's where I'm really confessing. Uh, I have utilized the selected letters. I don't really even have any of the... the volumes that uh, Hippocampus has put out, edited by uh, Joshi and Schultz and others wiser than I, uh, I have employed ST's concordance, I guess you'd call it, uh, to Lovecraft's letters as I have the twin volume dealing with his fiction in my research where I'm eager to know what Lovecraft said about this story or that entity or whatever. Uh, but I've never taken the time to read through them. I wish I had. I hope I will. But I've been involved in so many things, as you say. I know it's a choice, not a necessity. But I've never really had the chance to sit down and read all of it. I know I'm missing out on a lot. So I've got to give a pretty bad answer on that one. 
Uh, then Jonathan goes on, one of the things that always surprises me but shouldn't is the remarkable amount of letters, notes, correspondence we have from all walks of life in the last 300 years and how it has all disappeared. Um, first because of the phone, the internet, and then smartphones. I think future historians will be quite perplexed with our era. Their sources will be so restricted and limited, it, uh, it, it feels. So much of the ephemera of life that was once traced from physical artifacts has disappeared. So much of what the common person thinks or thought or did has disappeared. People do not archive their text messages, and companies certainly aren't. I wonder what it will be that seems so common, so simple as to note worth commenting about today or mentioning uh, will be, let's see now, let me try that again. I wonder what it will be that seems so common, so simple as to note worth commenting about today or mentioning will be completely unknown to the far tomorrow because we will leave no material trace of it. Uh, let me just pause. Uh, there is such surveillance on messaging by the NSA and Facebook and Google and all that stuff. I wonder if that's correct. I suspect that in many ways there will be a massive ocean of information uh, to draw upon. Uh, but, uh, interesting thought, anyway, he says, I assume your own correspondence has been quite voluminous. Have you ever thought on how you might conserve it for the future? Do you keep your con correspondence with friends and acquaintances, or has uh, the vehicle of the podcast mostly replaced that? Uh, let's see, well, I uh, often think about how I used to churn out the letters all the time, even short ones, to writers and other editors and, and so forth, and, uh, and personal correspondence, and that all of that has vanished, uh, that it's because of email, in my case, and uh, messaging, I guess, on, uh, on Facebook, though. Uh, I have a cell phone, a smartphone, or something, but uh, I, I don't do text messaging or anything, so I'm still sort of primitive, but it has been enough to pretty much destroy any written correspondence. Uh, but uh, that doesn't bother me too much because actually writing all that stuff was just a big pain in the rear, and uh, my editing and writing work uh, has certainly been facilitated greatly by uh, electronic media. wonder what Lovecraft would think. I mean, he loved getting new fountain pens and, and taking them for a test drive and so on so much. Uh, I, uh, and he hated typing. I, I wonder what he would think uh, about uh, communication these days. He did such a huge amount. I guess he could do even more if he was using email or something. But uh, we'll never know, though. Perhaps that way lies a story. Uh, see uh, okay well uh, thank you Jonathan and for your kind remarks which I'm too uh, humble or embarrassed uh, to read well that's it for our questions uh, I will just alert you to the fact that uh, 
very shortly now, uh, a second collection, about 200 pages worth this time, of my horror fiction uh, will be out and available on Amazon. It is called Horrors and Heresies. And there, these are uh, all uh, kind of united by religious and scriptural themes, though uh, mainly opportunistically. And uh, I think you'll enjoy them. You may have read some of them in various anthologies and periodicals, though can't be too many you will have read. And uh, some of the titles are uh, The Parchment Chase, uh, The Son of Jehovah versus The Cyclops, The Savage Sword of Jehu, The Castle of the Heretics, um, The Nativity of the Avatar, and other ones I can't quite think of. Uh, but uh, there's a good bunch of stories in there, and I think you'll enjoy them. So thanks for being with me on the old uh, Lovecraft Geek. Uh, send some more questions in, and we can have another uh, go-round of this. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.